This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and this week... We are back with a holiday episode. Fourth of July is coming up. And what are you going to do for the 4th of July? You're going to go see some fireworks. You're going to go take your family to go see some explosions in the sky. This is how we celebrate our birth as a nation. We blow things up. And so for this episode, I sat down with Phil Grucci. He runs his family company, Fireworks by Grucci. They are one of the top fireworks design companies in the world. They uh, do jobs all over from the Middle East to Washington to Boston, anywhere you can think of where you would need a fireworks display. They've been and they've designed something fabulous for it. And the interesting thing about Phil is that, yes, he's the CEO, but he is deeply involved in every aspect of the process from designing and storyboarding the fireworks display on a whiteboard, drawing it out by hand to, you know, modeling it out on a computer to, you know, overseeing the family factory down in Virginia where they actually produce a lot of these fireworks. By the end of talking to him, I felt like I could design a fireworks display. That's how much I learned from this conversation. And by the way, that is insane. Nobody should trust me with anything explosive, much less to design something explosive. But somehow I came away feeling like he had imparted that much knowledge to me. Anyway, I hope you feel the same way too by the end of this episode. What's your name and what do you do? My formal name is Felix James Grucci. My nickname is Phil. And what I do, I am the CEO of both Fireworks by Grucci, which is our entertainment company, and Pyrotechnique by Grucci, which is our manufacturing firm. And we are talking approximately six days before the 4th of July. That's right. So (laughs) I've noticed there are a lot of people in the office right now. Uh, There are a lot of people in the office and in the warehouse behind the office. And then uh, studio time is being over in the recording areas going on. And and we have a factory down in Virginia. There's about 200 people right now down there packing fireworks and getting ready to ship them out all over the country. This is like the elves putting together the toys before Christmas You know, something that's exactly the vision that people accept they're dealing with explosives. They don't have little (laughs) toys and and paintbrushes (laughs) and little green hats. (laughs) The the stakes for the elves are a little high. A little higher. (laughs) And their curled up shoes are conductive shoes that they wear in in an anti-static location. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you guys working on right now? What are the displays that you are producing for at the moment? Right now, believe it or not, I'm getting a, um, a design script out to to the Boston team. We produced a program on the Charles River up in Boston on the 4th of July. So the crew has already left. They're on their way up there to install on these barges on the, on the Charles River. But I'm sending out a um, briefing to the 
broadcast team so the director knows what to expect and anticipate when they're calling the show the night of the program live that's going on on Bloomberg television. They know which cameras to go to when and yeah. anticipate the different types of fireworks that are going to happen. And tell me a little bit about Gucci. Who do you guys do fireworks for generally? We produce fireworks displays from kings to crown princes to presidents to bat mitzvahs in, uh, in our local community right here in Bellport <laughs> and everything in between. You know, there's a saying, we, we produce fireworks for the White House and the local firehouse all together. So you actually do some Middle Eastern monarchies like over in Saudi Arabia or? Saudi Arabia, uh, UAE, yeah. uh, Doha, Qatar, you know, locations like that, mostly in in the UAE and in Saudi Arabia. So you, you guys work all over the world, all over oh, the country. Yeah. yeah, we've been to Beijing, we've been to Taiwan, we've been in Europe, in Italy, Spain, many locations around the world. So in the hierarchy of fireworks displays, how big is 4th of July in the United States? Is this like the Super Bowl of fireworks? It's a huge undertaking for any company that's in the firework industry. The art form is very much advanced now where the shows are not just randomly firing fireworks in the air. Every single show has to be scripted, designed, engineered, the layouts and things like that. So it's a huge undertaking. Uh, for us, if you were looking at the bell curve of our seasonality in, in the fireworks side, we have a peak during the 4th of July. And then because we are international, we have another peak equally the size of the 4th of July for New Year's Eve. Tell me a little bit about your background. This is a family business. So you've been, have you been working at your whole life? Oh yeah. We joke around I was born in the business. <laughs> when you're, a, when you're in fetal state, you're in the business. <laughs> <laughs> when you come out, you're in a baby carriage and you're on a fireworks show, you're in the business. I can remember back as far as I was five years old and I would have the opportunity to go in the truck with my dad and go to the barge, let's say at Coney Island and watch them set the show up. I'd sit there with a little rusted nail and trying to fish because they would they'd be working on a barge I'm trying to fish while they're working I didn't you know, but I'm watching all of this evolve and then my grandfather would come and take me off the barge before the barge would pull off the pier and go out into the ocean to produce the show because you know obviously I'm five years old I'm not going to be out there while they're shooting the fireworks and he would take me to this little Italian restaurant Gargiulio's in Coney Island and we would wait for the barge to come around and then it became showtime. You know, he's he's there with this big radio back then, this huge radio with the antenna that was about six feet long. And he's communicating to my dad on the barge. And, and you get caught up in that drama of, of a performance. And after the show was over with and people would come around and, you know, they'd pat him on the back and they'd give him all the accolades. And as a little five-year-old boy, you know, you're looking at that going, that's the coolest thing in the world. We're entertaining. All these people are appreciating what we do and it's addictive. So it's it's very easy to devote your entire life to this business when you get at such an early age, you get addicted to it and you immediately say, I, my personal experience was, this is what I want to do for my living. This is what I want to do for my life. Well, how did you start off in the business? That way. <laughs> as, <laughs> like what, a young boy you. carrying the bag of yeah. nails for dad and evolving by watching the process. Once I got older and certainly I went through formal studies, I've got my degree in finance because I knew I needed to go and refine my financial skills to run a business. But the in the field experience was based on volume. Being out there in pretty much every show I could possibly be at and I learned. And then I would also look at ways and say, this may be a little bit more difficult to do than it should be. Maybe we look at some different ways of doing the and innovate a little bit and make things a little bit more efficient. When you're out there throwing steel pipes for the whole day, one at a time, and you start saying to yourself, there's got to be an easier way, you know, you start thinking of those things quicker than if you're sitting behind a desk and not really realizing what's happening in the field. 
did you ever do design work yourself or, you know, actual work in the shop at all? Or have you always sort of been in the office? No, no, I was pretty much everybody in this family have come from the, as we all call the trenches. The trenches. You're working in the warehouse. Every one of our family members, they start loading trucks. Yeah. You know, you're out there loading. And that's my point about the yeah. example of throwing one mortar at a time. And you say, wait, you know, they have forklifts. There's loading docks, you know, there's cradles that can hold these things that we could pick up 500 of them at a time rather than one at a time. So yeah, absolutely. Everybody in this family have come through the, you know, there's no one that's come into the business where you come out of school and you've never touched a piece of equipment. So you got your early experience as a kid running around the fields, helping set up the displays. Have you ever been in a factory? Like, have you ever made a firework? Oh, absolutely. You have two sides of, of our business. One is the display side, which is out in the field setting up the equipment. And the other side is the manufacturing side of making the fireworks. Now, we make far less now than we made back in the 60s and 70s, but we still make a fair quantity of fireworks that we use on our displays because most of the fireworks that we manufacture, we have certain intellectual property rights on on the product. So we don't give it to other factories to make for us or outsource it. We make it ourselves so we can control that, that information. And then we do also import from China, from Spain, from Japan, Taiwan, Italy, and other places around the world. Is that a fear that if you send out basically your secret fireworks recipe to another factory, they're going to start copying Absolutely. It. Yeah. And that's, that's the same in anything. You have certain uh, inventions or techniques that you have. And as soon as you put that out there and outsource it, it becomes available to everyone, even if you do have a patent. You know, if a patent is only as good as you're willing to defend it. So I'm going to ask a really basic question. What is actually in a firework? What's in that rocket? There's a series of chemicals, salts, metals, uh, when mixed properly and consolidated and blended and formed, when they ignite, the simplest terminology is when they light and ignite, they burn at a certain temperature, which creates a certain flame color. And when you put them inside of a payload and launch them in the sky and burst that payload in the sky, and you you put them inside of that payload in a very precise pattern, you should get that same effect that's in a smaller scale on the ground, which is inside of the shell up in the air, but in a much larger scale. How are you arranging the, I guess, chemical They're called balls stars. It's what stars. it is. They're little half-inch in diameter balls, basically rolled balls of pyrotechnic composition. So if you can envision a small jawbreaker, when they roll that candy, let's say they put the strawberry as the first flavor in the center core, and they put blueberry as the outer core. Well, when you're sucking on that, you're sucking on it from the outside in. When it's burning a firework star, when it burns, it burns from the outside to the center core. So whatever you apply onto that ball at the end is what's actually going to burn first. So if it's red to white to blue, that's what the color changing aspect of that star is. When you put 500 of those small half-inch balls into a round casing and close it very similar to the way you would paper mache over a balloon to make a hard case on the outside. Whatever those chemicals are or those stars are that's on the inside of that, when you launch it in the sky and explode it, all of those balls of color yeah. spread out in whatever that pattern is. could be a chrysanthemum or a peony or if it's really specific, a shape of a smiley face or a heart or a star pattern. And the colors will burn based on chemistry. Inside that casing, are they like carefully arranged? Or are they like... Are they you- are either... Sometimes they're randomly placed in there. So mm-hmm. if you have a, a red, white, and blue mixed peony, for example, they would not be arranged. They would be 30%, 33% proximity of red, 33% of white, 33% of blue. Although sometimes we make more red and blue and reduce the 
the white because the white sometimes overpowers the red and blue as far as the luminosity of it. And then we just randomly put them into the, into the shell. So when it bursts, you have random dots of red, white, and blue colors. And then there are some cases where you're actually loading and placing every single star in a very predefined pattern, like the happy face that you may see that explodes in mm -hmm. the sky. Well, we're putting those stars inside of the payload in the shape of a happy face. So we're putting the red ones to make the lips, we're putting the two blue ones in there to put the eye, maybe a yellow outside ring to make the, the shape of the of the head. By hand, I oh, guess. Yeah. Yeah. The industry, as far as manufacturing of fireworks, is very much a labor-intensive industry. In our factory, we are inter introducing automation because we also manufacture a tremendous amount of materials for our Department of Defense. We make hand grenade simulators, everything that goes bang, smoke, fire, flame, flash. We use the technology that we learned in the fireworks industry to also make simulations in the defense fence side. So a hand grenade simulator, for example, when they pull the string, which would simulate pulling the pin, it doesn't simulate the weight or the shape of a hand grenade. It simulates the delay time when they pull the pin and throw it and then the noise that it's going to make. It's not lethal, so there's no shrapnel coming off of it. All it does is it simulates pull and a throw, and then it goes bang. That's the kind of thing they'd use for like training, right? Or something. They use it for training. But that item is very, very similar to the bang that you hear in the sky in a finale at the end of a fireworks show. It's the same composition, chemical composition, that goes inside of the case. It just may be reoriented as far as the configuration of what the case is. One looks like a hand grenade, and the other one is a round ball that gets launched into the sky. But the pyrotechnic side of it is very, there's synergies between the two. Are there specific tools that you're using in a factory to load up a, a firework? I'm imagining a person right now just picking up these little balls by hand and inserting them. There in. are some basic tools, like yeah. we call them shift boards, where you may have a an array of uh, 10 holes by 10 holes in a certain depth, a certain diameter, where you would fill each one of those with a granular form of powder. And then underneath them, there would be cups yeah. So when you pull the shift board and you drop 100 charges at, a, at the same time to avoid somebody from scooping 100 times <laughs> into a cup yeah. and then putting it into a, into a lift charge bag, for example. So there are some specialized tools. When you get into the more precise applications of the manufacturing, then we get into uh, robotics. You know, we do have a certain production line that has robotics, uh, visual inspections where x-rays and things like that take place to make sure that the certain pyrotechnic items are in the proper place and proper orientation. You x-ray a firework to make sure it's all... We may x-ray a component, for example, a piece of fuse that has a black powder core in it. We may x-ray that to make sure that there's no interruption of that black powder core that you can't visually see from an exterior surface. You're the man running the show. What occupies your day? Each and every one of my days are very varied. It all depends yeah. on what the, uh, I don't want to say the crisis of the day is, but what's the most pending, what's the most pressing thing that has to be addressed at the time. Because we have the two companies, one is the entertainment company that could be driven by design. I could spend the whole day designing a fireworks show, or I could spend portions of that day working with the operations team on the logistics and the engineering of a show that may be designed that needs a heavy engineering factor. Um, then I also may be down at the plant in Virginia, walking the line, looking at the particular production processes and making sure that the quality uh, requirements that we have on any given contract are being met. So my days generally start around seven o'clock in the morning and you know, now the days are, are very long days. You know, they start at six o'clock in the morning. You get done about one o'clock in the morning because the surge. Well, we have yeah. 65, 70 shows go out on this one week coming up, and it's you know it's inevitable. So let's start with the design. You still personally design shows? Oh, absolutely. I design the majority of the large scale performances. I will review every single show that goes out of here as far as the design to assure that it meets the quality standards of a, of a Gucci performance. I work very closely with another member of my team, Chris Carlino, uh, assists in some of the design work that we have here. Who taught you to design fireworks? 
time taught me and experience yeah. watching other fireworks shows and you know with the technology that came out that gave us the ability to place fireworks into the most far away ridiculously difficult places to get access to gave us a you know a theater that we can work on that is different than the standard ball field or a barge out in the middle of the river so you know, you're somewhat self-taught because when you design a performance and then you go watch it, I try to watch as many of the shows that certainly I designed naturally to see what worked and what didn't work. There are occasionally you're like, eh, that oh, I call it the effect to work benefit because you, you can put you know two hours on a, on a particular sequence and when you really look at it, you're like, nah, that didn't, that wasn't worth that time to to try to get that result. So you you learn on every single performance. The beauty of what we have is every performance is in a different on a different stage. Our medium is fireworks, so that medium is cast differently on every one of our shows. Like Disney World, you can go down to Disney World. That show is the same show every night behind the castle. So if you want to tweak it and do it, get it really perfect and change this angle, that's beautiful because you have the opportunity to do it every single day. You have one shot at the uh, Encore Resort that we just opened in Boston. One shot, three minutes, and the only thing you have to work with is the visualization program that you have. But you can't dictate a 14-mile-an-hour wind as compared to no wind at all and what it's going to look like. You could visualize that. You can you know, you can model it, but you really don't know what it's going to be until you get out there. It's so organic to that extent that uh, part of the design is you're just learning it. You're learning the experiences, and you can learn too much of a good thing as a bad thing. You know, the guys laugh sometimes with me. They go, you know, it's just as easy to write a 10 as it is to type a 100. And even a 1,000 is not much more effort. But when you get out in the field to go from 10 to a 1,000, it's huge. You know? <laughs> so, so you sit there, tap on the, on the key. You got to know reality when it goes out to the field. And every once in a while, they pair me back. You know, they <laughs> fail, you know. 700 props on the building is enough. We don't need to go to 1,000. And so it's a, it's a great collaboration when you get to the technical versus the design. And design drives the technical. I never want to get to a point where technical is driving the design. This is all you can do because this is what we have. A lot of the time, I'll design it right here on the board. We'll have a conversation. It's like, well, we don't have the equipment to do that. Okay, well, we have to engineer it now. We have to design it, and we have to design the, the equipment. We have our facility down in Virginia where we test it. Does it work? No, that didn't work. Well, that's the benefits of having a test site. So you can test it before you bring it out to the field. You don't yeah. want to do it the first time out in the field. And those are the cylinders and the brackets and things that you're using to hold all the, the shells and such. To, mm -hmm. You're firing them off. You have to custom sometimes. Some of them are universal where we can use them pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And then some of them are absolutely custom. You know, we were preparing for the wheel, the first wheel that's in Las Vegas. So to put brackets on that first wheel are much different. They were custom designed for the wheel, for the diameter of the wheel and the cables and things like that, as compared to the Burj Khalifa that we just put brackets along the side. So most of the time, those are custom manufactured. Whose idea was it to put fireworks just down the side of the building? Was that yours? No, they came to us and said, you know, we want to do something real special here and yeah. for New Year's Eve and we engaged with them and th then we had to go on to the building and say okay where do we attach anything here you know you can't use suction cups and you, yeah. know, you see people use suction cups to hold glass in place but that's temporary and these have recoil so yeah where are we going to attach to these so you know we went out there myself included and went up climbed to the top of that building and Funny story, real quick, is I was, you know, I went in there the first time we meet with the operations people, and so we, we got to get to the top of the building to see what's up there, what are our challenges. And I got a little bit of a midsection. <laughs> the guy looks at me and he says, you know, it's 400 feet vertical and a vertical ladder to get outside to the top of this thing because the pipe that goes up, it's a 400-foot, 48-inch in diameter pipe on a vertical ladder. He goes, we can't go up there and get you out if you have a problem. And I looked at him, I'm like, 
So I, I, I realized that. <laughs> but then he then he glances down at my midsection again. He goes, all right. He goes, sign this, this waiver, right? <laughs> and up we went. It took 45 minutes to get up there, but... Cool. <laughs> But it was worth it. That's a fascinating engineering problem. How do you fire is. explosives off the side of a glass building without glass? Too, right? <laughs> glass. You just acknowledge that yeah. and, and not put a spot on the building, also. So it's the selection of the product, also, not just the bracketing. What type of fireworks are you going to put on that building? Did you have in-house engineers figure that out, or is, did you bring people on? Or? We had in-house engineers figure out the methodology, and then we had engineers, structural engineers, that would test the different metals that we were going to make the bracket out of yeah. to make sure it could take the, the wind load and also the recoil pressures of the product that we were working with. Yeah. Same thing with last year, we broke the world record for the largest single firework shell. So 60 inches in diameter and weighed 2,200 pounds. So what mortar do you fire something like that that's never been done before? How thick does it have to be? How tall does it have to be? How much lift charge do you put underneath it? And we went through all of those engineering exercises to model. But at the end of the day, when you push the button, there is a little bit of the pucker factor to say, I, you know, I think we thought about everything. And uh, last, well, actually two New Year's Eves ago, Christopher, my son, pushed that button and, and Corey, both of them had two buttons to push and that shell launched and we gained the world record for the lo- world's largest aerial shell. Where'd you blow that up? In Ras al-Khaimah, which is an emirate north of Dubai in, in the UAE. What was the design? It was a big red Comoro willow that had uh, red comets inside of it with gold comets in the descent. And then we put a bunting of them down on the bottom on the ground too. So how do you start designing a fireworks show? What's your first step there? Sometimes I'll whiteboard it. Sometimes I'll yeah. storyboard the, the performance, yeah. block it out per se, you know, by the minute. The design doesn't really start until you appreciate what the stage is that you're performing from. We could be on a building. And when you came in here, you saw that big tall building. That's the Burj Khalifa in, in Dubai. It's the tallest building in the world, 2,700 feet. So it's a very vertical type performance. Or we could be on a flat ground. Like tonight, we're going to be firing, displaying for uh, TD Bank, mm-hmm. Celebrate America in Eisenhower Park. That's on a flat surface on a lake. So you, would, you look at the stage that you're going to be performing on, and then you start blocking out what that look is going to be. And then we'll take that and then go into the more granular part of the program and script every single second, sometimes down to tenths of seconds, utilizing a computer system. When you're doing that storyboarding, I guess, like, what's the artistic goal that you guys are going for? Well, that's that's a good point. You're looking at, why are we there? We just produced a, a performance in Boston, the opening of the Encore Boston Harbor Casino. So it's a grand opening. It's not going to be a 20-minute fireworks show where people are sitting out on a grassy knoll and watching one shell. So... From a design perspective, you know that you have you have a shorter moment in time. It's a three-minute performance. So what can we do with this building? How can we take advantage of the architecture? What is the theme? Grand opening. It's got to be big and bold. But what do we have to work with? So you look at the, the wind properties in general have a very iconic sweep on the top of the roof. So how can we work with that sweep to really highlight the architecture of this building? And then you get into, okay, we're going to put some... Uh, multicolored mines, which are a specific type of a device with some crisscrossing lattice comets on the roof. And now I want to go down the side of this building. So that means the heavy rigging, heavy, heavy applications of applying uh, fixtures on the building. So you can have comets coming off the side. And now they have this big, beautiful harbor that they build this property on. We have to highlight the water. So we have to put small pontoons in the water. So now we just set the stage. Then I move into the mode of What's the first scene going to look like? When they push that plunger, what's going to happen? Let's have them push the plunger. And because the property is so large, let's have the fireworks chase on the pontoons, wrap around them, go up onto the low rise, get up onto the tower, go up on the sweep, and then the whole property goes. So I I storyboard that because that one sequence is about 700 circuits that are firing within 
six seconds. So that's the grain that's getting down into the detail. The first step is to storyboard that vision and then commit it to some kind of a program that you can, you know, you can engineer the computer systems to, yeah. to fire all of that. You can get the CAD drawings out so you can give them to the pyrotechnicians to know how to set it up. Everything has a precise angle to it. We've tracked our time and it's about every minute of fireworks is about two hours of design time. And then you go into the programming time. So two hours for every minute. That one probably was a little bit more than six hours for me because it was such a large performance with so many locations that we were firing from. And then once we finish the vision and then we then have to manufacture the product because yeah. you're thinking about these colors and it either has to be in stock or you have to make it. That's amazing to me though that each minute is two hours. And Is that because you have to think about where each and every single rocket is firing from and how it's going to be hooked up and you have to kind of plot that out. It's exactly right. If you, every single, and by the way, we don't display any rockets anymore. Rockets is a- Outdated. Is outdated. Rockets generally would go up in the air with a stick. We phased out the stick falling back down to the ground. So we either fire something that's called an aerial shell that launches into the sky and bursts with a various different shapes or a comet, which is basically a streak of burning color. So you can create these nice lattice works with straight lines that you see on that image outside. Or things are called mines, which are like a plume of color. Then we have other things that are like stationary strobes and fountains and things like that. But rockets, they were very popular back in the 50s and 60s and and even earlier than that. But as uh, civilization started (laughs) employing more and more lawyers and you get the little stick that comes down, rockets have been pretty much eliminated from our industry. Every shell you have to plot out. So, I mean, you start with this kind of big vision. That sort of sounds like the pure artistic part in your head. And you're just doing it by hand on this board right here. That board or even on a piece of paper for that matter. And then you take it to the computer. We'll take the storyboard of what the various scenes will look like. And then we also score a music score because many of our performances are choreographed to a music score. That's a bed of of the theme. Obviously, Fourth of July, it's very patriotic, very John Philip Sousa type music. And it reeks red, white, and blue in a good way. But for an opening like that, Frank Sinatra's music is very popular within the casino environment, you know, within the Las Vegas. Yeah. And they drew that out here to Boston. So in that particular case, we had some Frank Sinatra music and it was robust and a lot of horns and a lot of a lot of brass. Then after we do the blocking of what we want it to look like, then we'll look at the duration of time that that scene will last. So if you have a three-minute piece of music that actually has 15 different cuts of other music, then those scenes may be five or six seconds so that storyboard now has to get compressed to fit a timeline of a music score and then we go into the programming into the computer systems to to plot every single discharge point so that's all the programming and technical aspect of it afterwards is there a special computer program you guys use for that we have multiples uh there's one that we use for visualization i mean excel is a workhorse for us yeah okay. you know, just basic excel because many of the scripts I shouldn't say many, all of the scripts that come out of our design, the visualization program, then get get a, uh, applied to an Excel table because you yeah. have a time when you want that item to discharge. You've got the place that you want that item to discharge from. You have the angle that it has to be put in. You have the quantity. You have the lifting time, how much time it takes to launch in the sky before it bursts because that's the more important time because if you want it to lift, launch it one second, but it takes four seconds to rise, it's actually going to burst at five seconds. So all of that is going into a gigantic Excel table. So every fireworks display can be reduced to a spreadsheet. Well, every fireworks display gets built up from a spreadsheet. spreadsheet. Yeah. The project for the uh, Boston Esplanade for 4th of July has 
6,900 equivalent of Excel lines on it. Yeah. And it fires within 22 minutes. So when you're watching that computer screen on what's firing where, it's it's like, it's moving pretty quickly. Is that what it's like when you're actually at the event, you're watching the kind of table just roll by and you're That's saying, right. okay, that went, that went, That's that right. went? That's correct. You see it roll by and sometimes we'll link that with a visualization mm. whenever the performances are elaborate enough that there's a live television production that's involved mm. in it. What I'm working on right now is to provide to the director what that show is going to look like. And then if they offset that time and run that visual file that I give them three or four seconds before it actually happens, the director can anticipate what's going to happen and then choose whichever camera they want to go to. In Boston, we're firing on on a bridge that's almost 2,000 feet long. So if we do a chase on the bridge... You don't want to be looking up in the sky at waiting for a firework to happen. When that happens on yeah. the bridge and you miss it. So it's very important for the director to know exactly where we're firing from. So you're working with the production end. You're almost directing it before you're firing it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you're actually designing how it's going to look in the field, is that like architectural software you're using? The software is AutoCAD, SolidWorks from a 3D environment, Visual Show Director, which is a visualization program that's got some some modifications to how we work. Then you get into you know music editing software, then you get into video editing software. A lot of it is off-the-shelf type of software that yeah. we've modified and come up with routines to be able to bring the whole program together. That's not even including the operations side of the house, where you have scheduling of pyrotechnicians, route plans, escorts, and things of that nature, all of the compliance things that we have to address to move the explosives from point A to point B. You're not allowed to just throw it in a truck. And That's right. <laughs> we're, not, we're not moving paint or, or sculptor's clay from point A to point B. We're moving explosives. So yeah. the, there's another level of what we do that's outside of the artistic side, and it's more on the administrative and on the compliance side. What do you have to tell the government to get permission to move a, a truck full of explosives? Well, the performance that we're working on in Washington, we're displaying from 21 flatbed trailers a mile wide behind the Lincoln Memorial with the President of the United States on the front steps of the Lincoln Memorial. So you could imagine the security, the Secret Service, National Parks Police, Metro Police, Fire Department, D.C. Fire, FAA, U.S. Coast Guard, you name it, every one of the alphabet, the agencies are there, and rightfully so, to assure that the audience is going to be safe and also president, vice president, and whoever else, other dignitaries that are there on site. Is there a background security check oh, that yeah, they do? Yeah. In- well, we have to do a, a federal background check on all of our employees, all of our paratechnicians, regardless of whether it's on a high-profile event like that or not. If you're in Muncie, Indiana, which is a performance that we have on the 4th of July, beautiful show, beautiful location, but the security requirements there are certainly different than Washington, D.C. 
D.C. with the president on the stage. But every one of the pyrotechnicians that are on either one of those performances go through the same background check, federal background check on their record. And the pyrotechnician is the person who's actually setting up the show Correct. on the ground? Either they're the one in the field setting up on the ground and actually discharging the, the show, or they're working in the factory making the pyrotechnics or making the explosives. But the government wants to make sure that the person either making the explosive or setting up the explosive is... Kosher. That's correct. That's correct. That's, <laughs> that's, their backgrounds. Uh, that's the background is clean, and yeah. they uh, and they're entitled to handle that and have access to the explosives. You take it from the beginning to the end. I do. I, well, no, I don't take it to the end. The end would be the person actually pushing the button to fire it. I have, and I pride myself as well as many of the other members of this team here have done everything from the beginning to the end. You do it all, but now the business has grown so much where we have to have specialists that take care of each one of those areas. Most of the people that are working within the company right now have been here 30 years, 25, 30 years. You know, that's some of the younger gentlemen and ladies, they'll come through college and now they're four or five years, but they eventually get trained on every single aspect of this business, um, including design. You know, everybody wants to design, but part of the design part of it is having a, a realistic approach to what you can and cannot do actually out in the field. I could sit here on the storyboard all day long and going, no, you know, on top of that building, I want to go around and around. I want to go around 50 times because it's the 50th anniversary and I want to fire 2,000 devices. But if you don't realize that what it takes to put that material on the top of a 2,700-foot building on a 48-inch in diameter ring, it's unrealistic. So you have to have a sense of reality when you say, I want to do 10,000 of them. You know, because one, it's relative to budget. Two, it's relative to the time that you have available to install it. And three, it's just sometimes it's too much. It's a bad thing as it relates to design. Because what we have in our world, the medium that we deal with, fireworks, has smoke as a byproduct. You put too much, the whole show gets smoked out and you don't see the beauty of the colors and what the actual angles and the features are. I want to talk about what it's like to run the fireworks factory. What's your role in that? Well, I don't want to sound like, you know, I do it all and nobody cares type of thing, but in a family business, you do actually do everything. You don't do it all the time, but you are involved in pretty much every step of the process of developing the factory in the first place. We're renting a a space in a active army ammunition plant down in Radford, Virginia. So back in 1994, we were looking to expand our operations outside of the state of New York. So we, are, we were on a hunt looking for a piece of property to build a factory from scratch in. And all of a sudden, this opportunity from a, an active army ammunition plant came along where they made it available through a program through the government to commercial entities like ourselves that could rent a factory like that that's ready to go. And the beauty of it for us was it's a factory that's manufacturing explosives. So all of the specialty things that you need to build into a new factory were already there. We with a little bit of reporting and procedural writing and things of that nature that we had to go through in the lease, we were able to basically put the key in the door and go into the factory. What kinds of special facilities do you need in a factory? In a that fireworks factory? Yeah, that, that, I guess. Uh, conductive floors, for example. What is a conductive floor? Yeah, The rugs, you walk on the rugs, you build up static, static electricity, you touch the light switch, and an arc of a spark goes across your finger to another potential, which is the, the light switch. In a fireworks factory or any explosives factory, the floors are conductive and you're wearing a pair of shoes that are conductive. So as you're walking across that floor or that surface, you're building up a static charge. And if you have a pair of conductive shoes on and the floor is grounded and it's conductive, as you're stepping, it's continually dissipating that static charge. It's not building up into your body. When you're walking on a rug, there's no way for that static charge to dissipate into ground. Yeah. So you're building it up. You're like a big capacitor walking on a rug, and when you touch the potential that you have in yourself, 
equalizes to the potential of whatever you're touching, and that's where you get the arc going over to the other side. So you're telling me that if I walked into a fireworks factory, as is right now, I am a, a horrible exploding hazard. You're a capacitor walking around, and uh, <laughs> you certainly whatever you touch could yeah. have the potential of putting a spark into a box of black powder. So the, a lot of the factory is designed to prevent static electricity. Static electricity up. is one of our enemies. Moisture is another one. Why moisture? You always see the, you probably heard the statement, you got to keep your powder dry. Hmm. Black powder and other materials that we work with, pyrotechnics, are no use for us if they're, if they're wet. They, they burn slower. They don't burn at a rate that you can predict. So moisture, air conditioning, and certain things like that in the building. The lights are all explosion-proof lights. Uh, explosion-proof doesn't mean that if the building blows up, the lights will still work. What it means is if the light bulb would burst, mm-hmm. the sparks that are created out of a light bulb bursting would not get out into the work environment. So they're in these heavy-duty sealed containers to allow the light to come through, but yet if the light bulb would actually arc, the sparks wouldn't make it into the work environment. The buildings are made such that there's there's a lot of doors for egress in the event that you need to evacuate quickly. Everything has to have an immediate exit to get out to the open space. If stuff to, does to evacuate. start burning, yeah, that would be... We have uh, certain sprinkler systems in the building and some high-speed deluge systems. Yeah. To, in the event, it's not really fast enough to put the explosive that's right there out. That's the initiating explosive, mm-hmm. but it does douse the explosives that are alongside and around it so you don't have a sympathetic spread of that of that incident in the plant. Do you have to go down to the factory? Generally twice a month. We have six prime contracts now that are running parallel yeah. to each other with the Department of Defense. When you're down at the factory, what are you doing? I'm either meeting with our facility manager. I'm uh, in production meetings with the entire production team or the quality team, and I'm on the floor, walking the floor. What are you looking for when you're walking the floor? So, you know, sometimes I walk the floor just to see the people, just to understand their troubles and, you know, I have a very, very good team down there. Our personnel department is excellent. One thing we, we pride ourselves on down there is it's a 1940s built facility. So it's very old and it's gray and the, you know, the, the paint is all, it's all drab gray. We painted the buildings white, put a nice trim on them, you know, just, just to brighten the place up. We mow the lawn so it looks almost like a golf course. You are a fireworks company. Uh, well, no, it's not the fireworks side of it. It's really on how we want to treat our employees. Yeah. That's our biggest feature and element towards quality is if you have bad morale and you're dealing with explosives, you you could potentially be making products that are bad quality and bad quality translates out to risk. You know, obviously when I'm walking in, I'm doing both. I look at the process and look at some of the documentation and paperwork that they have, look at their production rates. But I get that in reports from management, but mostly it's so you can walk the line just to talk with the people. This business and our family, we don't manage from a podium. I'm not on my yacht yeah. calling in orders. I'm in the field, either on a fireworks show or I'm in the field in the factory. And pretty much it's the same mentality that everybody here that works. You're not too good, frankly, if that garbage pail needs to be emptied, you empty it because it looks bad. It doesn't give a good vibe for the people working here. What's your favorite firework? Well, we have a favorite firework design, which is called the Gucci Golden Flitter Comet. It's something my dad developed way back in the 60s yeah. and used it on the Brooklyn Bridge celebration in 1983 very effectively. So we've included that shell. We still manufacture that shell. Um, What's it look like? It's a shell that has uh, 35 very large comets in them. So when it bursts open, it almost looks like a descending or the legs of a spider. You know, they descend, they crown down. And they have a like a 14-carat gold twinkle to them. And then just as you think that they're going to extinguish, then they split and they explode all at the same time. So it's a gold flitter splitting comet. So the comet descends and then creates this big lattice of crackle of splitting comets. And it's a very, very elegant type of an effect that we generally will use just before the grand finale. The song preceding the grand finale is a, generally a nice, big, bold, but ends 
beautiful and elegant. And then you go into that rousing bombardment of a, of a grand finale. Does anyone else know how to make that? Sure. They've seen us use them in almost every one of our performances, and they've copied it. But that's something that they can copy it. But for us, from a passion perspective and from a historical perspective, we have a special place in our heart that brings it to a different level that anybody can ever match. It's like a signature. It is. It's our signature. It's a, it is actually that. It's a signature just before the grand finale. Where are you going to be watching fireworks on July 4th? I will be on the 4th of July in Washington, D.C., not necessarily just watching them as a spectator because we, the production is huge. It's a very large production. You know, I'll have my heart in my throat just like the rest of the team that's spread out from here to Honolulu and as far down south as Key Biscayne and up to Boston. But I'm going to Washington. It's the biggest performance that we have. It's the biggest performance in the country. Thanks so much for taking time out of business season to, uh, to join me. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me and uh, happy Independence Day. Happy Independence Day. That is it for this week's explosive episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And in any event, if you feel like it, send me an email. Send it to working at slate.com. I'll answer. I promise. Really, just send me an email. I love getting them. In the meantime, Working, as always, is produced by Jessamine Molly. A special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. I'm Jordan Weissman. Catch us next week.